Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
welcome to the Visible Conservative Christian Zone here on True Radio Presents on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And I'm your host, the Visible Conservative himself, Thomas Dwayne Smith. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to listen live and also those who are going to be checking us out in the archives. I'm excited about our show today. But first, as you know, here on the Visible Conservative, we're not politically correct, just correct politically. And we always come down on the right side of the issue. Number two, politics does not define my faith in Jesus Christ. Having said that, I'm excited about our show today, but I want to get into about 10 minutes worth of news. Going to the Fox News website. But first, in Ferguson, Missouri, which is going to be our main topic of discussion with our guest tonight, was supposed to be some type of day of rage and protest. The, the news media hyped it up as a big protest on Labor Day. Well, one of my friends down on the ground there in St. Louis who will be um, calling in informed me that there wasn't nary peep nor sound. There was a handful of protesters, and it wasn't nothing. So we'll talk about that as well. But anyway, what's going on in the world? David Cameron, Prime Minister of England, is doing something towards of extremism. That's what he says. And this, you folks, you all have to remember, David Cameron is a liberal. He's from the Liberal Workers Labor Party, something like that in in Britain. They have like 50 different parties, so it's hard to keep them all. It's hard to keep them all. Um, sorry about that. It's hard to keep them all separated. <clears throat> British Prime Minister David Cameron on Monday proposed sweeping legislation to combat the scourge of extremism and a fast and powerful rise of the extremist group Islamic State. Cameron. Ex- officially asked the House of Commons to agree to severely and several temporary measures that he proposed last week, including the power to seize passports of suspected British jihadists leaving the country and controlling where they can move within the country. As I have said all along, this is not a knee-jerk response or sweeping behind blanket changes. That would be ineffective, he said. It's not just about new powers, but about how we tackle extremism in all forms. We will, in the end, defeat this extremism. I'm going to stop right there because it's a pretty long article. But when you think about what he's doing in combating the rise of terrorism, but yet we have a president who doesn't even feel like they're a threat to our main lion, 
And as my guest, being in the great state of Texas, right in the heart of an open border issue, can attest to ISIS can walk right across the U.S.-Mexican border. No one would bat an eye. ISIS can walk. Let me repeat that. ISIS can walk right across the U.S.-Mexican border. Nobody would bat an eye. But in the great state of Texas, hmm, they, I believe, would have a problem because Governor Perry sent the National Guard to the borders to help ICE agents. At least Texas is standing up for itself, more than I can say for our Commander-in-Chief. I'm excited because the gentleman who I got coming up not only is a great American, great patriot, but he's a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. I was listening to an interview that he did with the Libertarian candidate and he didn't allow her to smooth over the questions or try to speak around. He directly challenged her. And the issue that we're going to talk about today is going to probably offend a lot of people. But you know what? It has to happen because until our community wakes up, stop blaming other people. I don't really understand it, folks. The cop that killed Michael Brown was white, so we got to get in an uproar. Whitey killed Blackie. Never mind the fact that there's probably between 50 and 70 black males murdered a day in this nation. I'm going to take a very short break to to play a series of clips. And this is from an individual trying to explain why folks in Ferguson, Missouri, reacted the way they did. Then I am going to bring my guest on right after I play these clips. Because this is going to set up our whole interview. So, a lot of times we place racial solid the appearance of racial solidarity over racial reality. Why do you feel like everyone turned on Bill Cosby so strongly in the black community? Because white people were listening. 
Uh-huh. He wasn't supposed to say that in front of white people. We supposed to. It's white people don't know what's happening in our community, despite being in the uh, information age and the internet. And they but think I, he was okay. one of the most. I mean, in the black community, he was beloved, right? I mean, before yeah, he got into pull your pants up, sure, and speak English, sure, right? Yeah, and then everyone just turned on him. I don't know what his status yeah. is today. I'm 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 going to venture to say it's the same. You have a love-hate relationship with with uh, Bill Cosby there. If you had a magic wand, we were going to get the black community in much better shape 20 years from now. Give us a few beats. It's a pessimi- pessimistic answer. Let me say that first and foremost. But I think we have to create a Jim Crow-like society, or, or I would say. Daquan Tavius Crow instead of a Jim Crow. And how does that work? We point out those individuals. We know the subculture. We know who they are. We know how they talk. We know how we know the damage they bring wherever they show up. We have to laugh at them. We have to shun them, ostracize them. We have to make it let them be an example. See, I use them as cautionary tales when um, talking to my children. They serve as examples of who not to be. With my kids, if you walk in the house, waterboard. Uh, absolutely right. Butt funnel. Absolutely. I agree. If, if my daughter brings home a, a kid's pants sagging, anything, I told her I have a I have a shotgun, I have a shovel, and I have an airtight alibi. Does anyone here know the um, the largest state as far as population was blacks? Hmm. Let's see. I'm gonna go uh, Georgia, Florida, denial. That's the state. Oh, that's why that was a trick question. I did, that's what I was gonna guess. Damn. But that's that's why we can't sit down at the table because we don't want to admit there's a there's a problem to even solve the problem. And with that, this gentleman in those three clips was keeping it real. He told the truth, and that's what my next guest is all about. Let me give you a little bit of his background. Apostle Claver T. Kimu Amani is the founder and chairman of RagingElephants.org, a nonprofit issues-oriented organization dedicated to growing the conservative voting base primarily through racial diversity. Apostle Claver is a dynamic speaker who has traveled the country giving workshops on voter education, and citizen activism. His work with the Tea Parties as well as other conservative groups has enabled them to confront the racial stereotypes being charged against Christian conservatives or against conservatives. A born-again Christian, Apostle Claver is the founder and senior pastor of the Corinthian Christian Empowerment Center. I like that name, by the way, in Houston, Texas. He is a graduate of Lamar University with a BS in mass communications. Claver has years of an experience as a years of experience as an announcer and producer on both Christian and secular radio. He's a fifth generation Texan, grew up in Beaumont within within a home of Christ politics and civil rights. Both of his parents were active leaders in Democratic Party politics civil rights, community activism, education, charity, and a missionary Baptist church. Currently, Apostle Claver is a member of the Republican Party 
a director for the great a greater the greater Houston Pachyderm Club, a member of several other conservative leaning clubs and organizations. Everyone, I want you all to join me in welcoming my guest. This is a man I've listened to for a while now, read his stuff, Apostle Claver. Welcome to the show, sir. Man, it is uh, absolutely and totally uh, my pleasure, DG, uh, TDS. Really, really was enjoying what you were saying there, my man. I, I got to start off by uh, correcting one thing, though. You know, you're absolutely okay. right about the, pro- about the problems down here in Texas on the border. But I want your listeners to understand the truth. You were speaking about the truth, and you were, you were speaking about telling the truth, and the truth must be told. I want everybody to understand that when they look at the actions taken by Governor Rick Perry here in Texas, that they were toothless. The media is playing it up, but I want the people to know what the truth is. Yes, he deployed 1,000 National Guardsmen to the Texas border. But, folks, the Texas border is 1,241 miles long. Two. Those guardsmen, they are essentially unarmed. Their rules of engagement are they are not to apprehend, they are not to detain. They're essentially armed with baby formula, diaper pins, and binoculars. They're basically going to be pushing papers around. They are not down there to close the border. And so your uh, observation about ISIS being able to simply walk across the Rio Grande into the interior of Texas, and anywhere they want to go in the United States of America at this present moment is accurate. Those 1,000 National Guardsmen that were deployed by Rick Perry was nothing more than show and a response to the pressure of the Liberty Movement leaders here in Texas, including myself and others on RagingElephantsRadio.com, that have challenged the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general, who will be the next governor of Texas, to fulfill their oath of office live up to their oath of office, stop turning their backs on Texans, stop stiff-arming Texans who are calling for a special session to deal with this invasion on the southern border. There's 350,000 more coming from Central America that are on the trail headed towards the Rio Grande. This was a coordinated effort between the White House, the presidents of Mexico, and Guatemala. It is proven, it is documented, when Secretary of State John Kerry went to Central America, when the Vice President of the United States, uh, Joe Biden, went to Central America, it was essentially a thumbs-up to say, start sending them to the United States, start sending them towards Texas. It is an invasion, and the purpose of invasion is conquest. And those of us who are concerned about the sovereignty of Texas and the protection of our border, if you're concerned about the sovereignty of the United States, it is time for you to challenge your representatives supposedly in a representative republic, to stop committing treason. Their oath of office says that they are supposed to protect us from enemy, foreign, and domestic. Instead, they are giving them an invitation and plotting on how they can simply turn over the treasury of our nation and the treasury here in the Lone Star State. And we're fed up with it. So we've called for citizen militia, and citizen militia are down on the border attempting to protect the property of individual ranchers, who have solicited their help because they're getting no help from 
uh, from law enforcement. They are being bombarded. They are being they're having they're being shot at. They're having grenades thrown at them. They've been threatened. Their families have been threatened by drug cartels, human traffickers, and coyotes. And our government here in Texas and in Washington are not doing anything about it. So before anybody puts a, a, a champion's wreath on the head of Rick Perry, know the truth. Rick Perry, if he was to run for, te- for governor, oh, I'm sorry, for president, he wouldn't win the state of Texas. And I want the people, the good people of Missouri, the good people of uh, Kansas, and the good people of Illinois, and all the people that are listening on Blog Talk Radio right now, understand and know the truth. Understand that they are attempting to play us as fools. Shake the news, shake the information, shake public opinion. It's all propaganda. It's all kabuki theater. We want the border shut down. We want it secured. We want the invaders turned around. We want strict deportation. We, we do not, uh, these, these, these detainment centers, detention centers, these, the planting of these illegals in communities that are right now conservative, that they're trying to hopefully in the future will turn blue, they're planting these invaders in strategic locations. Guys, you've got to get up to speed on what's truly happening on the border. The national media is not telling you the truth. We are in danger. Our sovereignty is in danger, Dwayne. Wow. And I thank you for telling, telling me that because the truth of the matter is it has been played up as, you know, Governor Perry was doing you know, was doing a great thing. So do do you feel like he's complicit in it, or do you think he was doing oh, yeah. it because it's hanging for time? Oh, yeah, he's complicit in it. We were putting a lot of pressure on him in the liberty movement down here in Texas. See, we're still putting pressure on them to do a special session, and they don't want to do a special session. For those who don't know, the Texas legislature only meets every other year um, in odd years constitutionally for 140 days in which case the governor has very, very little power. The more powerful constitutional position in the state is the lieutenant governor who controls the legislative agenda. It's not until the governor can call a special session that he can specifically um, set the agenda. You will deal with these issues. You will deal with these bills. And so they don't want a special session. They're not listening to the Tea Party. They're not listening to the Liberty Movement because they don't want – uh, accountability. They don't want votes taken on how to secure the border. They don't want votes taken on the magnets that are drawing illegals across the Rio Grande, such as the DREAM Act or Sanctuary City or free health care or free education that Texans are paying for, the jobs that Texans are losing to these illegals because the job market the wages are being diluted. So you see, it's the, the big money interest here in Texas, the plutocrats, they're the ones, the hotel industry, the restaurant industry, the construction industry, they're the ones that want the cheap labor. They're the ones that are writing the big checks to politicians like Rick Perry to keep the border open because that's what they want. And then you have the possibility, well, I don't even think it's a possibility. I think it's definite. Nobody wants to really investigate it, of corruption through the drug cartels. The Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex has been labeled a command and control center for international drug terrorist organizations. And everybody knows it. It was put out by Texas law enforcement. The governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, they all know it, and nobody will do anything about it. If they know that 
that international drug cartels are setting up headquarters in the Metroplex, then you know that corruption, its tentacles, has reached into the Texas government and has reached into law enforcement. Just this weekend, law enforcement confronted citizen militia on the border that was protecting private land that were invited they were invited down by private ranchers to protect their property, 8,000 acres, and law enforcement concocted um, an episode which allowed them to confiscate all the weapons of the citizen militia. So the citizen militia is now unarmed and unable to do the job that they were tasked and asked to do by private landowners. I'm telling you, it's a nasty situation. And I know we're talking about Ferguson tonight and we're talking about the black community, but if citizens are concerned about the sovereignty of the United States or your individual states, which you should be, if you're, if right. you're concerned about the, the approach and the infiltration of terrorist operatives, then you've got to be concerned about what's happening on the Texas border. Exactly. And, you know, I got I to gotta be honest with you on that because listening to you share that, it it causes a rage to build up in me, and I'm not even from Texas, but that rage builds because of my love for this country and the love for the men and women who truly um, are dedicated to serving this nation, not just our men and women in the military, but also our men and women of the citizens' militia. And now to hear a state that talks about its Second Amendment and all this stuff that the that the law enforcement went and concocted a story that they could um, use to um, take their weapons. I don't, I don't get their that. Weapons. Yeah, it, it, it's a uh, we had a anonymously we had a member of the militia on our radio station this morning, RagingElephantsRadio.com. Uh, anonymously, have to keep his identity uh, under wraps. Uh, he is a leader uh, in the citizen militia deployed to the border. He told us the whole story. And um, it, it's very troubling. Now, we anticipated these types of confrontations, and we anticipated these types of actions by law enforcement, and indeed they have happened. We, we believe that there were going to be scenarios in which law enforcement would – would uh, show their hand. Which side of the ledger are they on? Are they on the side of the ledger of open borders? Are they on the side of the ledger of cartels? Are they on the side of the ledger of corruption? Are they on the side of the ledger of status quo? Or are they, or are they on the side of the ledger of Texans and Americans first over foreign nationals, over plutocratic and big money, big money to interest? Well, we got our first answer to that this past weekend, and I, can, I think that the self-identification is going to continue. Wow. Wow. With that, I am going to um, bring my friend Letitia on, and she's going to kind of give an update on what was supposed to go down today in uh, Ferguson, which I kind of alluded to at the beginning. But, you know, you in this context, I believe that there, there are many black conservatives who um, – can offer a rebuttal to what the Jesse Jackson's Al Sharpton said, but I believe just from listening to you today and and also listening to 
a YouTube clip that you that you went over or that you had where there was another Tea Party member that questioned your character, and you and you laid down a hammer. And I honestly believe that what it's going to take for conservatives to wake up is for conservatives like you, black conservatives, who don't care what anybody thinks to lay down the hammer. So I'm going to have Letitia kind of um, come on. She She's a, my co-host with me. Well, she's a host, and I'm a co-host of our of our pro-life radio show on Friday. So, okay. hey, Letitia, you okay. there? Hey, Thomas. Sure. How I'm are here. you? All right. Today has been a pretty quiet day, uh, and but then the last hour it actually kind of picked up. Some some news actually happened, and what what was happening? So you want to know what happened in Florissant today? I mean, I'm sorry, in Ferguson today, and not by the word that I have that I was there from about noon to about 1:30 in the afternoon was not very much. All I saw out there was uh, maybe five people standing behind a table full of T-shirts. <laughs> on one street, and maybe maybe 10 to 15 on another street, a parallel street, standing behind another table with some bigger signs. And it was quiet. Most of the stores were were closed today for Labor Day. It was quiet. I mean, you could hear a mouse walking down the street. However, as of a, an hour ago, uh, some people decided to block traffic in uh, in the highway. <laughs> Which is I don't think is a very smart idea. They had tr- they had planned to make a large, uh, a large scale block earlier today. That was canceled, and so. But I guess there were a few people that decided to try it anyway. All I can say is during this time, even if it's Labor Day, you know this is still kind of a rush hour traffic day. Do not piss off the people driving on I two seventy. That is not a good idea. <laughs> I agree. It is it is a mad, mad world out there, and that is the maddest highway that we have. <laughs> right. I'm, so, uh, Claver, I want yeah. you to speak from um, just as a black man and as a conservative, but even first and foremost as a pastor. What what was your thoughts when you saw um, suppose it? Black pastors coming out judging the police officer, and just give me just your whole thought when you saw all this on the news going down. What was your thought? Uh, well, first of all, it's great to, to listen to Letitia's report. She sounds fantastic, and I love what right. you guys are doing up there in the show me state. Love it, love it. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take this back to Trayvon Martin. Okay, I'm going to take this back to Trayvon Martin because a gang plan has been established. A schematic, a blueprint has been established. You understand that when they were demanding in Florida the arrest of Mr. George Zimmerman, they weren't looking simply for a fair trial. They were looking for a verdict. They want a verdict. Okay? And so when the verdict didn't go their way, they threatened again more action, more protest. Boycott Florida. They didn't want justice. They didn't want a fair trial. They had come to a conclusion that out-and-out murder had been committed, at least in their eyes, 
uh, some vigilante had killed a young black man in a hoodie and says the logical uh, conclusion is that um, this was a killing based on race. This was a murder based on race. And so uh, although the rhetoric said we want Zimmerman arrested, um, the code is we want him lynched. And we want him lynched by a jury, and we don't care what the composition of the jury is. We don't care what the evidence of the trial or other case is. We want this man to go to prison. So this is the mindset. This is the twisting of what was um, the, the compulsion in the 50s and the 60s for true justice, for true equality, um, into retribution and payback. And you do what we say and blackmail and threatening and intimidation tactics. We will rip up the town if you don't do what we say. Um, and so they have already come to the conclusion that this officer, regardless of skin pigmentation, is guilty, and they want him hung from the highest tree. They're not looking for justice. They're not looking for a fair investigation into it. And the pastors are equally guilty because the pastors aren't the leaders. The pastors are people, sheeple, just like everybody else. They see the rage of the people, and they're going to jump out in front of the parade because if they don't jump out in front of the parade, if they boldly speak the truth and say, we seek justice, we seek a fair trial, and if it is, if the evidence shows, you know, that this six foot four, three hundred pound man indeed was threatening the officer, then if the officer felt like his life was threatened, he was justified in ending that threat. Now, um, you know, Eric, you know, Eric Holder comes in there. I mean, in my view, they're not seeking justice. They're seeking retribution. This is what the so-called civil rights movement has turned into: a socialist movement of retribution, payback, reparations. And if you don't do what we want, we're going to take you down. And so it is twisted, it is dark, it is corrupted, it is about money, it's about keeping the victimization mentality in the black community. And unfortunately, um, it, you know, it, it, it has tainted the legacy, the purity of what the civil rights movement was. It's no longer that anymore. Uh, it is not about justice. Uh, it, it's to a point, it's very much about socialism political power, and keeping blacks on the Democratic Party plantation, uh, continually right. voting against their interests, continually voting against their continued uh, impoverishment and deprivation of opportunities in the community. They're voting for people who don't agree with their values, who continue to, to uh, exploit them. Um, it's, it's tragic. Um, and things that you guys are doing, what you and Letitia are doing, uh, up there in the St. Louis area and throughout the, the, the Midwest and the heartland is absolutely critical. But it, it, it's definitely an epidemic in the African-American community when these tragedies happen. This is the natural knee-jerk reflex, um, and it needs to stop. If you really want justice, let the justice system work. Watch it closely. Have a healthy uh, distrust of government. Um, watch the judicial system. Watch the picking of the jury. Who's the judge that's going to preside? Look at the evidence. Who's the DA in the case? Look at the, uh, uh, how the procedure, how jurisprudence works, but do not prejudge. Do not come to uh, a, uh, a preliminary or, or a, uh, should I say, a um, uh, quick conclusion uh, without the process, the wheels of jurisprudence actually being allowed to turn. Right. So... What did you think when they came out saying that the county prosecutor 
who's a Democrat, and that's significant, in that they were saying that he needed to recuse himself because his father back in the early 60s when he when the said prosecutor was a child was murdered by a black black um, perp or whatever the term it is, and they said he couldn't be by he couldn't be um, fair because his dad was killed by a, a black convict. What do, what do you think about that? Well, they should have been troubled by that when he was running for office. I, I don't know what the what the what the political system is like in in Ferguson, Missouri, down here. Public defendants, this district attorney, or like you would say, a county attorney, they're elected. So, um, as a if he's a Democrat, um, they should have taken care of that issue if he was on the ballot. If they were concerned right. about these issues, whether it been, whether whether that position is, is offered through appointment or if it's done on the ballot, then I would think that that would would have been an issue. That should have, been, uh, should have been addressed a long time ago. Okay, this guy's father was killed by a black man. So when it comes to justice in the community, um, his version of justice and law may be tainted. They didn't have any problems voting for him. Placing him in office, let the man do his job. Right. And he was elected four times in a row. I'm sure there's been other cases. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not up to speed on on the politics of eastern Missouri or, or western Illinois or, or, or southwestern Illinois, but I, I, I've got to believe there's been other controversial cases that have come before the people and the grand jury and the jurists of, of that particular county, um, and it hasn't been an issue before. I, it's hard for me to believe that they didn't have any problems when it's black-on-black black crime or when it's black-on-white crime. I, I, I don't understand that. Uh, let's be consistent here. Either the man can do his job um, – you know, in a, in a, in a very uh, methodical and professional manner, um, or he can't. And if he can't, then why is he in office and how, how, why has he been elected for four terms? Yeah, let me break in here really quick and talk about uh, 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 McMillan, or McCullough. Um, he was elected and reelected four days before Michael Brown was shot. We had a primary election here in St. Louis County. Uh, and who was running against him? Because he's a Democrat, and, and he was being primaried by an, uh, another Democrat who was a black woman. And she lost that election. So certainly, uh, if people were unhappy with him, they had their chance to get rid of him uh, right before this happened. Letitia... Brings up a good point. I mean, all this to say that um, if if people want to complain about the people that are serving in office, then they should complain with their votes. Right. How does, go how complain does county, to the ballot box. How does a county attorney uh, 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 recuse himself? And, and that doesn't make any sense. A judge who has conflict of interest, who is going to be the official, the official in the courtroom, the referee in the courtroom, that could potentially show bias. Uh, yeah, that, that may be an argument to present, a legitimate argument to present. But how does an attorney, a county attorney, duly elected by the citizens of that community, how, do they recruit, recuse, how, does, he recruit, how does he recuse himself? That's, right. that's an asinine request. Exactly. And plus, I mean, it is within the office of any prosecutor of any county in the United States to, to exercise his office impartially and fairly. I mean, that's the job. You're a chief law enforcement 
um, official. Right. So if there is a conflict of interest, certainly there has to be um, there there has to be either a mechanism, and if the mechanism isn't doesn't exist, we have to assume that a person can operate with operate uh, to the his full ability in the job and not allow his personal past. Has there been any demonstrations in the past? Right. Has there been any yes, demonstrations in the right. past of bias? Has there been any demonstrations in the past of injustice? Has there been exactly. any complaints filed against the office? Is there any uh, any evidence of targeted persecutions or prosecutions? Uh, if not, no. then all of a sudden, because of this particular case, the call for the man's recusal and to uh, disassociate right. himself with the case, it, once again, I say it's asinine. Absolutely, right. and plus, I mean, the governor has not asked uh, Bob McCullough to step aside either. Certainly, our Democrat governor would have a considerable interest in that since he stuck his nose in this quite, uh, quite <laughs> all the way in. <laughs> right. And for him now to step back and say, hey, it's none of my business, uh, a little bit late for that. Right, exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing about this, even the feds were kind of calling for him to recuse himself. How could Eric Holder, of all people, call for anyone to recuse himself with all the muck and mire he's stuck in? Well, because, you know, ever... after all, he's a black man, too. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> Claver, what do you think about that? What do you think about Eric Holder sticking his nose in this matter? I don't think very much of Eric Holder at all. I try to think as little about Eric Holder as, as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do like to eat. I do like to sleep well at night. So my sleep is disturbed and my appetite is ruined if I think about Eric Heinrich Holder. Right. You know, not but which, in all in all in all in all seriousness to to, to uh, in all seriousness, um, the level of injustice that has been introduced to the justice system by the first Black Attorney General of the nation is something that Americans, not just black Americans, should lament. Um, right. I am very, very sad about the performance of the first black president of the United States, but we warned, we admonished, we cautioned, we begged, we pleaded, do not right. let these individuals into the seats of power because they will abuse, they will twist, they will destroy and uh, that's precisely what has happened. Um, you know, so what the Bible speaks of, those who want to call evil good and those who want to call good evil, that's, that's precisely what we have. And uh, right. it is a troubling, troubling situation. Um, and I really do hope that justice plays out in Ferguson. Uh, if the police officer was, was uh, unjustified uh, in taking his life within uh, the appropriate punishment should be applied. But if the evidence shows that that black man, um, who had just moments before strong-armed a store owner over a, over a handful of cigars, if he was in the wrong, showing thuggish behavior, showing behavior that's uncivilized to the point of barbarism, of being a barbarian, um, completely uncivilized, not belonging in civil society with that kind of behavior, not, not uh, respecting 
personal property or, or, or personal property rights or personal rights or business rights and just being a, a strong-armed thief, and if he continued that behavior even against a badged police officer, then he deserved to lose his life, period. Right. If somebody that size is coming at me and, uh, you know, I've got my Glock, my Ruger with me, with me I'm shooting them. Exactly. I mean, I don't understand why that's so hard for people to understand. And you as a pastor, you're just keeping that real. And, and you know, they did, somebody leaked um, his medical report, and he had a broken, broken orbital socket. In other words, he was hit so hard that his eye was broken. And as you know, being a gun owner and having had gun training, that a person is taught to shoot. When you're taking target practice, you're taught to shoot center mass. Cops are taught to shoot center mass. Now, if nothing was wrong with his eye, and yet he, the general, or Michael Brown was shot four times in his arm and twice in his head, either that cop was shooting totally with his eyes closed, or he was just a really bad shot. So uh, well, the scenario, the scenario that I see, I mean, I don't know. This is all conjecture. I mean, honestly, right. I have not seen a scintilla of evidence beyond the press conference that was held um, by the private attorneys of of, uh, of Michael Brown's family. Uh, so my my, I'm, I'm speaking. Speak uh, specifically on conjecture and speculation. I mean, the speculation is, you know, Michael Brown turned, began to approach the police officer. We don't know if he was at full sprint. We don't know. But if that was the situation, I mean, the police officer just, you know, pulled his weapon and started firing, you know. Uh, you know, he's already, got, he's already lost an eye. Uh, you know, you got, you know, you got, you know, some defensive end coming at you at full bore. Um I don't know, man. I, I probably would have responded the same way. I would have pulled out, uh, and I carry my nine with me. I would have pulled out my nine, and I would have unloaded the clip, period. Right. And that's what you have to do. See, we don't carry guns just to appease, you know. And here, here's something that I don't understand. It's kind of like with Trayvon Martin as well. Trayvon Martin, which is uh, – which was I found out from a friend who was an investigative reporter who was at the trial, and it, and it wasn't released into, to the jurors. But Trayvon Martin was hopped up. He was very high at the time he was beating George Zimmerman MMA style. But people, well, the, 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 other, the other thing about the Trayvon Martin case was Trayvon Martin was less than 100 yards away from his house. He could have went right. home. Trayvon Martin could have went home. You know, this is what I want to say, Thomas and Letitia, and, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys also have a pro-life program. You know, yep. 1,800 black children are murdered every day in America right. in, the womb, in the womb. Eight hundred are murdered in the womb every day. And these folks, like, like Jesse Shakedown Jackson and, and uh, uh, you know, Al Shakedown Sharpton and Jesse Castration Jackson are marching around Ferguson, Missouri, 
okay, right. about this one particular case. Now, you know, if, if, if it was here in Houston, that's 20 black children that are murdered in the womb every day. If it was 20 black teenagers lying in the streets, maybe they'd march, maybe they're not, but they're not marching in Chicago. Right. This is, this is one black man, unfortunately, who lost his life at the hands of a, a white police officer, and they're marching all over the place. I mean, where is right. the outrage about the genocide of the black community and the black children? Where is the genocide that uh, – where's, where's the outrage about the genocide, 50% of black births in an abortion? Where is the outrage? You were playing a clip about the vilification of Bill Cosby because how dare he tell the truth about the condition of the black community. I mean, right. And, and there you are. I mean, look at the guys right there in your community. You know, whether it's Clay or Emmanuel Cleaver, the Reverend Emmanuel Cleaver, that are proponents <laughs> of, yeah. you know, uh, a proponent of, of Planned Parenthood. I've been to Kansas City, Missouri, on Emmanuel Cleaver III Boulevard, where there is an abortion clinic right across the street from a black housing project. Where's the outrage about that? The black, right. the members of the congressional black criminals, okay, they've got blood on their hands when it comes to black lives, because every single one of them, including civil rights icon John Lewis, are endorsed by Planned Parenthood, receive funding from Planned Parenthood, and are the protectors of the abortion industry. They should be ashamed, and I believe there's going to be a day of judgment in front of the throne of grace, and they're going to be judged for this. There's blood on their hands, and here they are exploiting this unfortunate incident in Ferguson, Missouri, they're not calling for peace and calm. They want this chaos. They want this anarchy because it, it right. fattens their pockets and it, and it, and it uh, blows up their profiles, and they like it. Right. So what do you see? Because when, when a black man like you or Bill Cosby or me call for those in our community to take responsibilities for their own actions instead of stop blaming others, we get called the names, and I'm sure you've been called the names. I've been called the names on radio shows by other guests. So, but what do we do about it? Because at what point, you know, the Bible talks about uh, dusting yourself off and moving on. That's right. But at what point do we say, okay, you know what? You vilified us for too long, but we don't have to, as conservative Christians who happen to be black, we don't have to take the garbage from you. We don't have to, we don't have to justify bad behavior because our skin tone happens to be the same color or hue. And for some strange reason, there's this mindset or this mentality that, because we're black, we're supposed to automatically accept bad behavior from the rest of the black community as a whole. How do you deal with that mentality? No, there's several ways to deal with it from a biblical perspective. I mean, you absolutely named one of them. When the Lord Jesus speaks about in the book of Matthew, turning the other cheek in the Sermon on the Mount, the situation there isn't allowing someone to, you know, to beat the manure out of you. It's about um, accepting the insult. 
accepting people, uh, accepting people are going to insult you, call you names, vilify you, uh, you know, make you into a pariah because you do stand up for right. I mean, for crying out loud, they call the Lord Jesus' name. I mean, for goodness right. gracious, there were followers of his that deserted him because they couldn't take the truth. So um, we stand firm. Uh, when, when, when people want to call me Uncle Tom, a sellout, uh, you know, step and fetch, Sambo, Oreo, whatever they want to call me, handkerchief head, house Negro, whatever they want to call me, my response is, you know, uh, no, no, I, I'm going to tell you what I am. I am a free man. I am a free man, and I am free to associate with ever people or political party I wish to associate myself with, and I, I am free to abide in any political ideology I wish to abide in. And the ideology that I wish to abide in is life, liberty, and prosperity, which lines up with Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Now, you're free to get off the plantation if you want my response to these, to these charges. You're free to associate with whom you wish. You're free to affiliate with whom you wish. And you choose to stay on the plantation. I choose to leave the plantation, not to be the slave of a socialist ideology, an ideology of steal, kill, and destroy. I choose to be part of an ideology that is about life and life to the full. I, I, I choose to be a part of an ideology that focuses on freedom, that focuses on being all that you can be through individual responsibility and relying on the grace of the Most High God. That's what I wish to affiliate myself with. That's what I lean on. And you can call me whatever you want. That means I'm on the right track. Because when right. I look at you and your community and what your community is, is facing, I don't want to be a part of that. I have no interest in being a part of steal, kill, and destroy. I have no interest in being in a community of impoverishment. I have no interest in being in a community that's being miseducated, undereducated, underemployed, no wealth creation, and being shuttled into incarceration and the justice system. No, thank you. You can do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Right. That's you. You couldn't have put that any clearer. And you know, let, let me, I let just me say this. Let, let me say this, Thomas, real quick. Let me say this. Okay. You know, here in Houston, for an example, and you can see it in communities all over this nation. Okay. Now. On the east side, of Houston, you have the east side and the west side. Okay, Houston is the second fastest growing city in the country. 1,500 people move to Texas every day. Texas has four of the five fastest growing cities in the country, Houston being number two, number one is Austin. Now, you look at these communities, and I, I want to make a point here that your listeners, you and Letitia, can get a vision of here. Let me explain to you. On the west side of Houston, cranes everywhere where I live. On the west side of Houston, cranes everywhere. Building boom. I mean, that's, it's become the state bird of Texas. Cranes, okay? Building cranes, all right? All over the place, man. I was just in Dallas over the weekend at the Omni Hotel for the Americans for Prosperity Convention, and right next door to the Omni Hotel, another high rise is going up. I mean, it's just construction everywhere on the west side of Houston. On the east side of Houston, nothing is going on. Literally nothing is going on as far as construction, expansion, life improvement, wealth creation, uh, investment in the community on the east side. Now, 
guess where the Democrats have power, and guess where the Republicans have power? Because, you see, Republicans say you go out and you make money. And our ideology, our conservatives say, those in the liberty movement, we say, government should be there to protect what you earn through your work ethic, through the fruits of your labor. First and foremost, it's yours. All the money that you make by the labor of your hands should touch your hands before it touches government's hands, okay? That what you make should be kept for you. As much of it as you make should be kept for you. On the east side, where the Democrats are are in control, and there's no growth, and there's no construction, and there's no wealth creation, their ideology is take it from those who work hard and bring it into this community and give it to these people, and it doesn't work. You see, if black people truly want to achieve wealth creation and financial independence, then what they need to do is do what the West Side, the people on the West Side have done. They need to absolutely reject the ideology of the Democratic Party and the left because all it has done is created more problems, exacerbated poverty, exacerbated education, high school dropout rates, And so if they want to escape that, the first thing they need to do, besides giving their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and his ideas of wealth creation and liberty is, and the capitalism espoused in Matthew 25, what they should do is get away from the Democratic Party, get away from the ideology of the left and socialism, and come to the ideology that says go out, get a job, and the money that you make, There is a political ideology that says we're going to protect the money that you make for you to allow to keep as much of it as possible. And you will then see wealth creation. But as long as you're relying on an ideology to turn government into a robber, robbing those who go out and work hard and bring that money to your community, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. Okay? So the black community has got to reject the Democratic Party. The black community has to reject the Congressional Black Caucus. The black community has to open their eyes to the the reality of Barack Obama and Eric Holder and Maxine Waters and and Jim Clyburn and Emanuel Cleaver and William Clay. They have to reject that ideology because those individuals who carry the water for that ideology are nothing more than agents of poverty and, and slavery. The Democratic Party was the party of slavery. It hasn't changed. It continues to be the party of slavery, and it's keeping black people on the plantation of poverty and victimization, not thinking for themselves, and not being able to garner wealth and and independence. Right. So how do you answer those black liberals who say, but the Republican Party is racist? That means that they have no answers for our arguments and our success. You see, whenever they cry, you know what, we're black folks. We're we're black brothers, right? Okay, so, you know, I'm sure you've grown up in the Missouri area and me growing up in the black community down here in Texas, and I grew up in a house of civil rights and politics. I grew up in it. I grew up in civil rights and politics, Democratic Party politics, when the Democratic Party down here in Texas was really the only party and you had two wings of the Democratic Party, the white supremacist wing, and then you had the civil rights wing, and they weren't, trying to, and they weren't socialists. They were not. I, I can give you campaign literature of my father when he ran for office as a Democrat, and he was talking about tax cuts and job creation, okay, as a Democrat right. in Jefferson County, Texas, right? 
So now, you know, the 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 thing that, um, you know, I'm sorry, Collins. What was the premise of your question again? What would you say to those black liberals who say the Republican Party is racist? Is racist? Or the right, party? right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that means it's like when we grew up. This is the point that I was trying to make. When we grew up as children, I don't know what you did, but sometimes it would get boring out there playing in the streets, and you know we would play the dozens. We would hoo-rah, you know, uh, you know, you so fat, your ears are big, or whatever. And finally, somebody would lose. Everybody's laughing at the other guy's jokes. Nobody's laughing at your jokes, and nobody's laughing at your jokes, and you feel humiliated. And finally, you just say, "Yo, mama." You ain't got no answers. Right. You can't respond. And so you just say, yo, mama, the ultimate insult, right? That's fighting words. Right. It's fighting words for me. You don't talk about my mother, right? You know, and right. it's fighting words. Well, that's what the racist thing is. They have no answers. When they say, oh, well, it's a racist policy, or you're racist, it's essentially they're saying, your mama. They have no answers. They've lost. They've lost the arguments. So as soon as anybody, and, and that's all they do now, any opposition to leftist socialist policies, it is, you're racist. Any opposition to Barack Obama, you're racist. No matter how bad and destructive his policies are, your opposition to him is because you're racist. Now, we help yeah. them make that charge because we have such a, um, you know, such a, a embarrassing lack of diversity in the liberty movement and a, an embarrassing lack of diversity in the Republican Party, but you and I know, and I've dealt with people, I've worked in Kansas City, I have worked in St. Louis, I've worked in, Colum- uh, in Columbia, um, I, I have not run into racists <laughs> in, in the Tea Party or the Liberty Movement, none whatsoever. These are people who don't give one rat's toenail about my skin color. They appreciate me. And they show me adoration because I simply believe in the principles of liberty wholeheartedly, and I will not compromise, and I will not surrender. And they love it. They, everywhere I go, they roll out the red carpet for me. They treat me like royalty, and it humbles me, absolutely humbles me. Um, so, you know, when they find – and here's the thing. They're hungering they, they, have, they, they are hungering for conservatives of color to come and join their ranks. They're seeking solutions and answers. How can we attract more people of color to our ranks? And, you know, for RegiGallifants.org, we've done the empirical study. We've gone door-to-door in, in many black communities across this country, and we've taken the polling data. And the vast majority of black people, regardless of their income level or their educational attainment, they are conservative to hyper, ultra-conservative. And they simply keep voting against their values because the Democratic Party has shackles on their brains and their votes. But when you ask them about abortion, when you ask them about same-sex marriage, when you ask them about foreign policy, when you ask them about support when you ask them about the welfare state, when you ask them about the abolition of the Internal Revenue Service or the securing of the border, they naturally fall to the side of social, fiscal, and national defense conservatism. And I'm not talking about a small, little, narrow majority here. We're talking into the 70 and 80 percentile area here. There are large majorities that are conservative. Let me remind all of your listeners 
that Proposition 8 in California to ban same-sex marriage, 70% of African Americans voted for that proposition banning same-sex marriage. And of all places, California, 70% of black folks voted for traditional biblical marriage. That proposition would not have passed if it wasn't for the black vote. In every place it's been on the ballot, except for Maryland, the black vote has overwhelmingly voted for biblically defined marriage. Yet, they vote for a president in the very same election of 08 and again in 2012 that is a puppet for the homosexual agenda. Doesn't make any sense. Nope, it doesn't. You know, you said something really interesting, and this has been this has not been my dilemma up here in Missouri, because like you, God has given me a powerful message to not only speak to conservatives as a whole, but the entirety of the conservative, you know, movement talking about our lack of diversity, how we can change that. The issue in Missouri is that you're dealing with a lot of moderate moderate Republicans and moderate, a lot of libertarians, and it's hard for me to get my foot in the door. You know, I, I couldn't even tell you how frustrated I've been and, and trying, you know, and trying to get the message out because it's like, you know, what do you do? And so I look when I see individuals like you who who have kicked that door door in has that has that media platform that can uh, you know that can that can be effectively communicated. It makes me say, hey, you know, maybe someday I'll get there, you know. But it, it's frustrating because unlike a lot, um, I use on how I react to things on what my path And because of my hard upbringing, I look at this nation with a greater appreciation and respect and a love because, you know, just because of some things that I went to. And when I, when I see our nation going down a road that, you know, it shouldn't be going on, I'm like, okay, how can I make a difference? I just want to make a difference. I want to get my message out. And uh, it's, it's just amazing. The Republican Party says it wants diversity, but it's not willing to do the tough work to get the diversity. And it's not about harvesting votes because the establishment, they're only interested in harvesting votes. The true grassroots conservatives that I've talked to, they're interested in not only bringing black and other minority conservatives back into the fold, but embracing and saying, hey, how can we work together to bring about change? And that's what's really needed. If the black community is going to rise out of the poverty that it's in, it's going to take conservatives of all stripes not just black conservatives, to get the message across. And that's what white conservatives, I think, is they're missing that. They're missing that point because they think that black conservatives are going to come in and we'll go in and swoop, swoop up and bring in um, black conservatives. But, no, it takes a conservative effort because that's what liberals do. So, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, TDS, and then I've I got to skedaddle because I have another meeting. 
All right. There is a responsibility amongst blacks. Okay. It's in the civil rights movement, they saw an injustice. They lived injustice. They didn't wait for an invitation to the lunch counter. They went and sat down at the lunch counter. Right. Okay? Um, and so I am of the opinion that while some so-called black leaders are waiting for an invitation from the Republican Party, no, it's, it's incumbent upon you, if you want a piece of this action, just come on in. <laughs> if you yeah. believe in the ideology, don't be waiting on an invitation. Do, do what our forefathers did. They just went on in. You're not going to hold us out. You're not going to hold us back. That's okay, right. So that's, that's what I did. I wasn't waiting for some, some invitation. I, I looked at the lack of diversity in the GOP and didn't stop me. I believe in the ideology. And uh, I'm causing all kind of heartburn in the GOP because uh, there are those in the GOP who are not liberty-minded. My, my cause is liberty. And when I look at the Republican Party, I say here is a party that was founded on emancipation. Here is a party that was founded on liberation. And they've, they've veered from their roots that have made them a dominant and great party. Now, my right. job is to get them back to these roots. And in doing so, it is my belief in taking the message of liberty into any precinct, into any neighborhood, especially where we have such a lack of presence. We've got to go on the enemy's turf, give them our liberty message, and I, I think liberty is going to win out every time. Liberty is a portion of natural law. People naturally come out of the womb wanting to be free. And so if we uh, send that message through various communications devices, piercing that blue force field that doesn't want that message to get in, you know, to, uh, to, you know, to East St. Louis, well, then guess what, guys? Uh, we find the vehicles to get the message in there, and there are going to be those that come to our side. Uh, we don't need every black voter. I mean, there are those who believe that, oh, well, you know, the, the, the liberty movement has to have 90% of the black vote like the Democratic Party has the black vote. No, we don't. We simply have to break up the monolithic vote. Blacks are the only demographic in America that votes monolithically. If we get 22 right. to 23% of the black vote, the liberty movement has no problems. We win elections for, for decades to come. Right. I believe that more than that will come over to the liberty movement. I was at the AFP convention this week, uh, this past weekend in Dallas. Man, I was so happy to see so many black folks and brown folks at this AFP convention, man. You, th you would think it would be a white country club, you know, kind of bashing kind of thing. No, it wasn't. And uh, I mean, we had a couple of conservatives black young conservatives that came to our radio microphone to give their testimony, young black women who escaped the liberalism, the socialism, and the Democratic Party, spoke of their conversion, had their eyes open to the policies of the Democratic Party, very much like, let's say, a Star Parker. And, uh, man, it was heartwarming. There is hope. We're going to do this thing. We have to continue to be positive and optimistic. We're going to do this thing. Their eyes are going to be open, and I think Barack Obama, Eric Holder, the rest of those uh, socialists up there have opened a lot of eyes. And I believe that in the 2016 election, there is go even the 2014 election, the congressional midterm, there is going to be a lot of eyebrows raised at how many black folks this time change their vote and give the GOP a try. Right.
And see, what's really funny is that <laughs> I think that's why the Democratic Party's in the panic and trying to use Ferguson to, if you will, because it's all they do is harvest the black vote. They never yeah, show that's, that's up until it's time for election. So yeah, correct. I know you got to take out, take off, but thank you so much, uh, Apostle Claver and. It's hard for me to just call you Claver, but I'll just call you Claver because that's what you told me to call you. But um, you are a blessing, and I can tell you, Letitia had to take off because she went to pick her husband up from the airport, but knowing your stance on the life issue, we have to get you on our um, True Life Fridays radio show because one of the things that we definitely need to keep in the forefront is the epidemic of the black abortion rate because it's still going on. And in some cases, it's actually getting worse. So yeah, it is. we'd like to have you on that show, on our show on Friday. Absolutely. Let's, let's, uh, let's schedule that. Let's see if we can get our schedules synced for that. And I'd, I'd love to discuss the genocide in the black community and what we can do to protect um, uh, the babies, baby Texans, baby Missourians, um, they need to be checked. They need to be protected, and uh, it, it is, it's a real tragedy and a work of evil that's going on, uh, and it endangers the hand of the Lord being removed from our country and our individual states and communities. It's a fight that I feel is absolutely paramount. Um, you know, liberty has been devalued in our country, and uh, life has been devalued in our country, and we're going to get it straight. And uh, when we do, uh, the Most High God will bless us abundantly. And uh, we're going to see a level of prosperity in this nation that has not been seen by mankind, but we have got to deal with this scourge, this evil. Right. With that, thank you a lot, you, You're welcome. God bless you, and I'll be catching up with you on Facebook. And also, do you have a podcast of your shows? Well, if anybody goes to RagingElephantsRadio.com and they click on On Demand, all of our programming is archived there, and I would invite anyone okay. to uh, go there, and uh, you can download the programs, you can share the programs. Uh, they will give you a link to share the programs through social media, um, and I would invite anyone to go there and try to peruse through our website. And uh, and of course, as soon as you land on the website, you will hear Raging Elephants Radio. That's on twenty four seven three sixty five. All righty, sir. You have a good night, and God bless you. Thank you, Thomas Dwayne Smith. I appreciate you, brother. All right. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Love you, man. Bye-bye. God bless you. Love you too. God bless. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That is a man of God. And, uh, (laughs) but everything he said was right, you know. Everything he said was right. In the black community, we have to stop waiting for someone to invite us. And we have to go grab the bull by the horn. I wrote a blog today. And I'm going to read my blog because it kind of plays and it kind of goes with the show tonight.
40 years is the title of the blog. On September 17, 2014, I will be entering the fourth decade of my life. As I look back over the last 39 years of my life, I, I have asked myself exactly what have I accomplished. Well, I have managed to avoid all these statistical pitfalls that normally follow young black males. And my life, let's examine that even closer. Growing up, I was considered a lazy individual, never mind the fact that I struggled with getting around. So being the people pleaser that I was, I set out to prove that I wasn't lazy. And as a result of those choices, I neglected the early warning signs my body was sending out. I had to push myself harder, go further, because I wanted the accolades that came with being the best. When I got a paycheck, I spent more money on helping others than I ever spent on myself because I was taught in church that if you had a problem focusing on helping others, I was because I was taught in church that if you have a problem, focus, focusing on helping others would keep you from worrying about yourself. I took that to mean that if I helped others, then my problems would go away as well. The problem with that viewpoint is that I did not know avoiding my problems would make things much worse. By the time I realized that I needed to allow the Lord Jesus Christ to work out my problems, the labels had, all, had already been permanently etched into my character. I lost friends at church based on rumors that were unsubstantiated lies. Never got the chance to defend myself either. Preferring others over myself gave me a sense of comfort and joy, knowing that I was helping out, that I was helping someone else out. So I asked myself if I could have anything I wanted for my birthday, what would it be? I thought about having a new body that was health, completely healthy and whole. I realized, I realized that all I ever wanted to do was to make a difference in a nation that has lost its moral foundation, to tell people that there is another way if you turn to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, the events that I have tried to put together over the years have turned out to be unmitigated failures. So I have one last face up my sleeve, not going to go into detail. But if successful, it will allow me to be a blessing to those individuals who reached out to me and helped me when I most needed it, those who dared to believe with me for my vision of unity in this nation. There are those who seek to keep racial tensions going in this country. It is too bad that they are too stupid to realize that there is no such thing as different races of people all belong to one race, the human race. One thing that can never be taken from me is my belief in those endearing qualities that made this country a great nation. Does she have her faults? Yes, she does. But for every one thing that she has done wrong, there are a thousand things that she has done right. One last thing to those in my community, the black community, who continue to harp on how racist this country is, how racist the Republican Party is. It might be time to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Our community 
has become the most pervasively racist group of people in this nation. Not to mention, we vote for the most historically racist part, political party of all time. We also think that going to church on Sundays will, will absolve us of all our actions. Well, once again, it's apparent that someone hasn't been reading their word. God's word is very clear. You will reap what you sow. So if I could have anything for my 40th birthday, it would be the race, the restoration of the greatest nation ever founded, back to its true Judeo-Christian values, based on the true premise of God's holy script. Luke 11:17, New King James Version. But he, knowing their thoughts, said, "Every kingdom divided against itself." falls into desolation, is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. So, having said that, that was my blog piece, and I'm going to bring Letitia back on, and we're going to talk about the clips that she, that she um, queued up I got them queued up. Hey, Letitia, how are you, my friend? What's up? Are you on the road back from the airport or to the airport? Uh, yes, I'm at the airport and I'm driving. But go uh, ahead, yeah. play, play what you're gonna play. All righty. Oh, by the way, I talked to Apostle Claver, and we definitely have got to get him on True Life Fridays Radio because he is a strong uh, pro-life, especially with what's going on in the black community. Because as I had mentioned before you had came back on, that the, the abortion rate in the black community, in some places they're going down, but overall there really hasn't been a change. So time to really bring that back to the forefront. So he said absolutely hook it up. So just wanted to share that with you. That sounds that sounds terrific. Would love to love to have him on. Yep. So the first clip I'ma play it and Letitia, I'ma have you I'ma have you kind of talk about it because you you know you know the context of the clip. So I'm gonna play the first one. A lot of times we place racial solid the appearance of racial solidarity over racial reality. Why do you feel like everyone turned on Bill Cosby so strongly in the black community? Because white people were listening. Uh-huh. We're supposed to say that in front of white people. We supposed to. It's white people don't know what's happening in our community, despite being in the uh, information age and the internet. And they but think I, he was okay. one of the most. I mean, in the black community, he was. Beloved, right? I mean, before yeah. he got in to pull your pants up sure. and speak English, sure, right? Yeah. And then everyone just turned on him? I don't know what his status yeah. is today. I'm, I'm, I'm going to venture to say it's the same. Did you have a love-hate relationship with, with uh, Bill Cosby there? Letitia? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'll give you the context. But you know what? This is, uh, I have a new word for people like myself. It's called non-black. And I'll tell you why. 
the context of this clip is uh, Adam Carolla was interviewing to leave Stark specifically because of all of this Ferguson business having come up in the national news and indeed the global news. So, so Talib Stark was it was on his show to give a little insider information on the black community. And the thing that he revealed in this clip was that there is this uh, cultural taboo where you know the black people just don't talk about black problems in front of the white people or anybody else for that matter. Um, now, I can't speak to whether that is wholeheartedly or overall the case and whether or not anybody's opening, open to discussing it. Uh, so I actually have to rely on you, Thomas, to give me more of that kind of confirmation about what Starks has said. Um, my personal take on this is we all need to be honest with what our respective communities and our ethnic backgrounds actually do say about the others in the world. And you know what? I can dish a lot about the Asian community, you know, if you ask me. Uh, but does it play, does it factor well into what is, what's going on right now? No, not, not in the current situation. But should it come up, you know that I value honesty above uh, any kind of racial solidarity. There's no such thing in my book as betraying your race. So uh, the fact that it has become a big deal not to say certain things in front of people of different skin colors, you know, at some point in time, honesty has to supersede racial solidarity. At some point in time, something's got to be bigger than that. Thomas? Right. Patricia, you're absolutely right. And I can honestly tell you, in a black community as a whole, a collective group, it's hard for us to even admit our own faults. And that's something that I've seen down through history. I don't know why. It's crazy. It's hard for us to admit our fault. And we have, we talk, we might talk bad about white people, but we have such a level of respect that we're afraid to be made to look bad in front of white people. It's kind of, it's kind of oxymoron. And and you can't explain it. It doesn't make sense because one of the things um, that I've said in my blog, it's a it's a new quote that uh, and it's true. There is no such thing as different races of people, but different cultures of people who all belong to one race the human race. That, that quote right there, I can back up with scripture. But, you know, in a debate today, my, my cousin, he was like, you know, Thomas, I partially agree with you, but you're wrong because there, there are uh, racial classifications. <clears throat> yeah. Racial classifications that were broken down by men. The word of God, if you really studied it, did not break 
man into races. He divided his creation into species. That's what the word of God says. So, for those who have that issue, be it in a black community or wherever, if you have a problem with that, you need to take that one up with God. And having said that, I'm play second quick for you. For right. Well, before before you do that, I have a question though. This is this is my honest question for for you, which is is what is is this being talked about? So this is one thing. Don't talk about this stuff in front of white people or anybody else. But is it talked about at all amongst amongst uh, members of the black community? Is there a pushback saying, you know, maybe we ought to learn and do well in school and learn how to speak properly, just as Bill Cosby has said, and learn to dress respectively in, in our own culture and not segregate ourselves and then, and then criticize people who think that's not a good idea and that's not, uh, that's not being a part of the wider community. Is there a talk like as that a, going on? As a collective whole, as a group collective, No. Maybe in mm. pockets among certain families, yes. But as a collective whole, that is not a conversation that is discussed. It's kind of like the issue with black-on-black crime is not really discussed. <laughs> so, so how can it be? So how can it be so uh, something that people get <laughs> all upset about? When the white people point it out, or when the black somebody like Talib Starks gets on a on a radio program and spills the beans, so to speak, or Bill Cosby comes out and says what everybody's thinking but nobody wants to say out loud, why does why does the black community I shouldn't say the black community why do many people in the black community get so upset with Bill Cosby? He's only saying what everybody refuses to say but knows. Well, there is a prevailing and unspoken belief um, in within the black community as a whole that because of the suffering that the community suffered at the hands of slavery, mm-hmm. the end of slavery, that we should be above criticism. Never mind the fact that while at the same time we should be able to turn around and criticize others without any fear of retribution. Not saying that's right, but that's the prevailing, that's the prevailing mentality. Because we had it right. bad, so we should be able to talk to anybody however we want to. That's, that's a fallacy. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, you know, this is this is just me just throwing it out there. Um, thank you for, you know, thanks to some people who gave me permission to throw it out there. I'm just going to throw this out there. What if, we, what if the white community has said the same thing? Instead of saying, well, we have an excuse because we've been poorly treated to say whatever we want and we are above criticism, how about if the white community said, we are above criticism because we're just better than the white better than every other color of skin. We're better. We're elite. Letitia, 
certain certain uh-huh. white people of certain political parties are already saying that. Unfortunately, uh-huh. that certain political party is the political party that black people vote for at 98% clip. Uh-huh. Exactly. Indeed. <laughs> so, I get your point there. With that, you can play the next clip. If you had a magic wand, we were going to get the black community in much better shape 20 years from now. Give us a few beats. It's a pessimistic answer. Let me say that first and foremost. But I think we have to create a Jim Crow-like society. Or or I would say Daquan Tavius Crow instead of a Jim Crow. And how does that work? We point out those individuals. We know the subculture. We know who they are. We know how they talk. We know how we know the damage they bring wherever they show up. We have to laugh at them. We have to shun them, ostracize them. We have to make it let them be an example. See, I use them as cautionary tales when um, talking to my children. They serve as examples of who not to be. With my kids, you, if you walk in the house, waterboard. Uh, absolutely, right. butt funnel. Absolutely, I agree. If, if my daughter brings home a, a kid's pants sagging, anything, I told her I have a I have a shotgun. I have a shovel, and I have an airtight alibi. Yeah, I, I, that's what I think. That's what I think every father needs to say to his daughter, regardless of what the family color is. But, hey, I'm just saying. <laughs> right. So, in the last so is this really the 20-year solution? He's, he's, the question was, what is the 20-year solution to this? And this is the answer that Salib had given. We need to change, and he used some provocative language there. We need, we need some, certainly to have an attitude adjustment uh, in the black community is what he's saying. What do you think about that? He's right. Absolutely right. So when there's no okay. So when we see when we see uh, the fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old uh, black high school student walking to school uh, dressed like he walked right out of a rap video, what should be his mom's reaction? What should be his uncle's reaction? What should be his aunt? What should be his grandparents? What should be his friend? Well, his well, his parents' reaction should be, "Boy, pull your pants up! You ain't going out of the house dressed like you just got out of prison." His friends' reaction it depends on what kind of friends he has, because if he's sagging. You know, that's going to kind of call into question the potential character, if you will, of individuals who's walking with their pants, uh, you know, hanging around down by their ankles. But it starts at home. You bring up a very good point, Letitia. It starts at home. The parent have to take responsibility 
Stop leaving it up to the government and the school system to educate their children because they're too incompetent or irresponsible to do the job themselves. If they can't do mm-hmm. the job themselves, wait until you're more mature to have sex and have children. Right. What do you think? Right. I, I, I think... I think what he has has prescribed, what Talib Starks has said, is the low and the slow, but it is the long-term final solution. Um, the, the black community has to have an attitude adjustment over how much they will tolerate um, from their, their youth leading this entire image of black culture. I mean, certainly anybody from our grandparents' generation doesn't want to be looked at right. like their grandkids. You know, their grandkids with the, with their with the inability to articulate, having having uh, poor expectations, uh, low performance in school. You have got to. Uh, you, we have got to realize, in, in, a, in a stark reality, is that those that are 60, 70, 80 years old who are who are black in this country. Far better educated than the vast majority of 16, 17, 18 year olds in high school today who are black. Right. Far better. What is the difference? And when people have, begin to wrestle with how this divide has occurred and how to reverse that, there are going to be some very hard discussions that have, have, have to take place over the dinner table, in the living room. I think that black people who don't speak up in their own community are going to have to, for your own sake. It's not appeasing white people. I know, I can hear this. I can hear it. I can hear it. This is not to appease anybody else. This is for your own sake. And let me tell you, as a non-black person, there is nothing that I want more for the black community in the United States than to rise to a higher standard instead of sinking to the lowest common denominator. For your and own little, And a caveat to that is that they're basically, they're basically believing what the Democrats are telling them. They are allowing themselves to be patterned mm. into a certain block or mindset. And I say them because I left that plantation. I don't include myself as part of that anymore. But there is a lot of people within my community who still have that mentality, and it needs to be broken. So I'm going to play this last clip. It's only 25 seconds. Does anyone here know the um, the largest state as far as population with blacks? Hmm. Let's see. I'm gonna go uh, Georgia, Florida. Denial. That's the state. Oh, that's why that was a trick question. I did not know I was gonna guess. Damn. But that's that's why we can't sit down at the table because <laughs> we don't want to admit there's a pro- there's a problem to even solve the problem. Yeah. How much truth is there to that? 
ouch. That's all I can say is ouch. Because <laughs> How that, much that was true. <laughs> Wow. How much truth is there to that? How much truth one, is there to that? One thousand percent. Thousand percent. And the truth of the matter is this. God ultimately let's let's take a spiritual the dovetail for a minute. We in the black community, we talk about how spiritual we are. We go to church on Sundays and stuff like that. But somehow, when we leave church, it's almost like two different people separate. That is a very interesting observation. Uh, I, I not thought to approach that question before, but since you brought it up, tell me a little bit about that. Because you know what? Yeah, you know, it was a movie I saw a long time ago. It was Rush Hour. Do you mm-hmm. remember the movie of the Rush Hour with uh, yep. with Jackie Chan and what's his Chris name? Rock. Chris Rock. Chris Rock. No, it's not Chris Rock. It's not Chris Rock. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Rock is in Rush Hour. Chris Tucker. Yeah, that's Chris, Chris Tucker. Chris Tucker. It's Chris Tucker. Oh. <clears throat> and how they the, there was one scene where they walked into this uh, this this front for the, this uh, I guess they were packing drugs or something. And and he walked into the back and suddenly. Uh, Chris Tucker's character, very palling around with everybody back and said, hey, weren't you in church? Why weren't you in church last Sunday? You know, these guys were, were packing drugs in a secret warehouse in the back of a restaurant or something, in the back of a bar. And we're supposed to believe that all of them were church-going, uh, church-going Christians. And, and they probably were on Sundays. Right. But Monday through Saturday, they were they were dealing in drugs. Now, I don't mean somebody's going to get on my case for this. I'm not trying to impugn anybody saying, oh, y'all just go to church on Sundays and Monday through Saturday. What are you saying? We all do drugs? No. <laughs> but you brought up this, there's a divide between the person who goes to church on Sundays and the person who lives life Monday through Saturday. Tell me, and that's not unique to anybody in the black community. No, that's not unique at all. Uh, but tell me a little bit about it from your perspective. Well, <clears throat> my perspective is that we feel like that we're not responsible because we can separate those two lives. Does that make sense? Uh, tell me a little more. That's, that's my way of saying, no, not really. Tell me some more. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> my um, 
in our community, we feel like our actions on Sunday are separate from the rest of our week. In other words, when we go to church on Sunday, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, almost like a sort of Catholic profession in that you go to church on Sunday, which absolves you of the things that you did the last six days. Does that make sense now? Okay, so church attendance is to gain absolution. So, and then when you get absolution, then you can go out the rest of your week and do what you've been doing until the do next it all over until week. the next Sunday. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, where does and this is a personal question now? Where does the gospel fit into this lifestyle? It doesn't. But you you have to ah. you have to understand one thing. Over seventy percent of black Christians don't even open their Bibles. Uh, I, I don't think there's a color associated to the fact. I think that no, I'm, that I'm talking. I'm talking specifically in the black church. I I can't speak for anywhere else. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that saying because there are some denominational churches where the people they don't ever open the Bible. The the uh, the priest just reads, uh, you know, a few passages, and that's your scripture. I that's a very good point. That number I was going to say that seventy percent can apply to any ethnic group, but it may you can bump it up to ninety percent or higher. <laughs> some some denominations. You are right about that. Right. So anyway, that was that was that was a personal question about that. So you know, I'll ask you the same question: What is the solution? What is the long-term solution? And what can? And obviously, I'm not as pessimistic as to say, "Hey, nothing's going to be going to get done by next weekend." But what can be done? Something's got to be begun by next weekend, or we'll never get started. Sorry about that, Letitia. Letitia? Sorry, I thought, I thought I lost the connection there. No, you didn't lose connection. My phone hung up on me. And, oh, I'm sorry. And, <laughs> but the thing of it is, I'm on speakerphone. <laughs> well, that means somebody's listening in. <laughs> Sorry. And so what what is the long term solution? Um I will ask the same question that Adam Carolla asked to leave start. What is the long term solution? Obviously we can't get started. Nothing is going to be accomplished by next weekend. But if we don't start something by next weekend, uh we'll never get on the way. We'll never get any progress at any time. So what is the long term solution? Long term solution first and foremost is for the for the um, 
black community to return to its first love, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of everything that we've been doing so that we can receive the fullness of the blessings that Christ has for us. That simple. Because you're not going to solve. You're not going to solve a problem until you first solve the spiritual problems that are at work. Right. So. I agree. I agree. The root problem is in the human heart, regardless right. of what ethnicity you have. It's the problem that we all have. Um, and uh, until people have, I mean, I, I look at the people that are marching up and down, uh, you know, West Horse Avenue here in Ferguson, and they're shouting, no justice, no peace. And you think about it, that's a very, it's a very cynical thing to, to say with regards to what's happening here on Earth. And, and the fact is there is no peace. There is no peace not because there is no justice, because, but because there is no peace. There's no right. peace, period. We can get lots of justice. We can. We can get lots of justice in this world. But will will there be peace even if we do? Right. And right. I I'm a firm believer that you know the peace begins when we are reconciled to God before we are reconciled to each other. And unless that is taken care of first and foremost, there will never be peace. Right. So how how are so so that is a one of the long one of the things that people need to do long term, um, and it's probably the most important piece. Have you got any other words of wisdom for us? Take responsibilities for your own actions and stop blaming everybody else's for the choices that you chose to make or not make. No, I, I can hear the objections from from the back of my mind come come rushing forward to the front and saying, but yeah, but uh, what do you have to say for deflecting this call to responsibility onto other people? It's it's not it's. The claim that it's just to say it's not as easy as that, Thomas. Well, what I say to that is, you reap what you sow. You keep blaming other people; it'll come back to haunt you. Simple as that. Mm. Let me insert a personal question here again, since we we have a few minutes left. Not a problem. Why do we not hear? Why don't we hear this message more often from the from the so-called leaders of the black community? And I don't I don't mean Al Sharpton because we all know what his business he really is in. And I don't mean just Jackson. We know what his business he really is in. But you don't, our you pastors, don't hear, our pastors, our well, ministry leaders, all the other people who are invested in the health of the black community. 
you know, you know that's an easy. That's an easy. I'm glad it's easy. It's an easy answer because if the black leaders and black pastors started saying anything about or speaking like that, they'll see their donations to their churches go down. Hmm. So it isn't really about the health and well-being of individuals anymore. No, it's about keeping it's about keeping their bottom line bottom lined. That's all. It really is. Wow, wow. Well, I'll let you monologue a little bit more about that and and see what kind of things that we need to confront. You know, as as persons, not as just black people, but as human beings. Uh, I gotta run. But it's been a pleasure, and I, I love talking about this and getting to the heart of issues. And we we certainly we can't exhaust this topic no matter how hard we try. I don't think. Right. I thank you for chiming in tonight, Letitia, and it was an awesome show. And with that, folks. What it boils down to is this. We all have individual responsibilities that we need to take care of. It's not, it's not shameful to ask for help when you truly need help, but to constantly return to the well over and over and over again because you don't want to do for yourself and you're carrying a mentality that someone should do for you, it's wrong. Straight up, it's wrong. So until we as a community, the black community, first and foremost, returns to its first love, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we profess to be believers. Now it's time to put our money where our mouth is. If we can't do that, we have no room to point fingers at anyone else. Scripture, folks, the Bible says, remove the log from your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The problem is that in within our community, the black community, we're always trying to remove the speck from somebody else's eye. And then we want to cry about racism. When someone tells us, hey, slow your roll, because you, you're not a hill of beans either yourself. I've stood in line in places where a group of men, black men, talking about how they rob somebody and take because this person don't be deserve to be making this much money. And this was places where they worked. All I could do is shake my head. They didn't work for that man. If they helped create that business, they would have a right to. They didn't help start that business. And that is the prevailing mentality among progressives that You have to take from the rich to give to the poor. But in actuality, you take from the rich 
to give to rich liberals, elites, as communists do, and you throw the crumbs to the poor people. That's what they're really doing. And if you, America, will not wake up and understand what is going on, at the end of the day, you will meet your destruction. So my question to you all, can you hear us now?
Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.